It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When Hortensa Aliai was named the FT's mergers and acquisitions correspondent, it was July 2020. So still the beginning of the pandemic, financial markets were panicked, and it was a really tough time to be covering M&A deals. There were basically no deals and the entire M&A market had shut down. Uh, and I was like, great, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> uh, and then SPACs magically appeared. And first of all, there was one and two and then late SPAC listings a day. So SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. The name doesn't give much of a clue as to what it does, but it's basically a financial investment vehicle that has no operations. It's like a shell company. So a special purpose acquisition company known as a SPAC will list on the stock exchange and raise money from investors. It is literally just a blank check company that will have traditionally two years to hunt for a private company that it will then merge with, um, thereby taking that company public as well. So it used to be known as a backdoor listing um, because you weren't going through the traditional um, initial public offering process. So the pandemic arrives and these once obtuse kind of shell companies just take off in popularity, like instantly. It's like a it's like a sort of a, a wildfire. Um, everyone and their mother is launching a SPAC. Today, we're going to tell you about the rapid rise of SPACs, why the pandemic fueled their popularity, and why this investment boom wouldn't last. I'm Jess Smith, in for Michaela Tendera. From the Financial Times, this is Behind the Money. Hey, Hortensa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So why did SPACs take off during the pandemic? There was the main reason that people give is because of the retail investor boom. So we had the we had people who were at home who weren't spending their money on the traditional things you spend money on, going to restaurants, going to the cinema, seeing your friends, and they were locked at home, not doing anything. So a lot of them just downloaded Robinhood, the trading app, and started trading these things. And the companies that they, that the SPACs were targeting initially were extremely attractive companies for your layman investor. What kind of companies would we talking about? Some of the companies that were going public through SPACs were kind of mind-blowing. You had a vertical farm. Uh, you had these sort of businesses that you were just like, how is this going to make enough money? A lot of them didn't have a product, let alone revenue. But what they did have was these cool, glossy presentations that you could access once a SPAC had announced a merger with the company. And in the, during the start of the sort of SPAC boom, you could say pretty much anything you wanted in these, in these presentations, right? There were companies, some flying taxi companies, who were promising to make $10 billion in the next five or six years in revenue. 
And so you could make these like lofty, rosy projections that investors will look at and be like, wow, I don't want to miss out on this concept. This sounds great. And if I'm buying in at $10 and this goes to the moon, to use an expression commonly used by retail traders, I'm making a ton of money. So that was the attitude that drove the market. But there was also a lot of institutional investors who are investing in these things. It wasn't just your your retail investors. There was smart there was smart money, as it's called, that was giving money to these vehicles at the very initial stages. Do you have any favorite SPACs in terms of what the name of the SPAC, what it purported to, what it planned to go out and acquire, or the people involved? There were all kinds of celebrities were getting involved in SPACs as well. Yeah, there were. I have a soft spot for Nikola, which is an electric truck company that, you know, said it was going to revolutionize the market. It was going to compete with Tesla. And this was the point at which I realized that SPACs were going to be a massive deal. But it went public with this company that had raised money. So SPACs will raise money at $10 per share. And it had merged. It was called Vector IQ. And all of a sudden, you see these shares shoot up to the point where the company hits $28 billion in market value. So it's actually worth more than your traditional car maker who is making cars. And to be clear, Nikola was not making any cars. Nikola barely had a prototype. It just had this grand promise. But I saw this share price go up and up and up. And I was like, what is happening? This company hasn't got anything to sell yet. <laughs> like, why are we seeing why are we seeing it shoot up to $28 billion? So in this case, so Nikola was the company, not the SPAC, right? Nikola was the company. So does the company find the SPAC if it wants to go public in, a, in an easier way? Or does the SPAC find the company? Or do they find each other? Yeah, look, this is a bit of a gray area. So when you list a SPAC, you're not really supposed to have a company in mind. That's actually prohibited. You're supposed to list your SPAC and then you're supposed to say, okay, I have the money from investors. Now I'm going on the hunt for a company. Whether that always happens is a question we're still wrangling with. But the SPAC will talk to its underwriters who initially were very big banks like Goldman Sachs, like JP Morgan Stanley. It will talk to its advisors and it will ask them, hey, do you know of any companies we could merge with? And they sort of go on the hunt, they present 40 or 50, they narrow it down, they sign letters of intention. So it's a process that should take a lot of time. But at the peak of SPAC boom, it was taking like two months to strike a deal, which doesn't look good because you're asking yourself, are you doing the due diligence? Are you sure this company is ready to go public? We're using words like shell companies and companies that produce nothing suddenly shooting up to $28 billion market valuation. This just seems really risky or is it is it shady or, or how do you describe the kind of product this is in terms uh, on a risk scale? I mean, in and of itself, a shell company, they have a bad reputation. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I think in this context, what happens, especially when retail investors are getting pulled in, is that you get people who aren't your average bank analyst. They don't they don't know how to look at these companies and be like, the fundamentals actually don't match the price at which I'm paying. And so all of those people, I mean, Nikola shares are now trading at 485. And at a peak, I believe it was as high as about $80. So all of those investors who bought on the way up and didn't sell have lost a ton of money. That's where it becomes a problem. And that's hence why regulators had to get involved. Because 
you're not, you're selling a dream, really. A lot of these companies are just selling a dream. And whether they can ex execute it or not is another question. But in the initial phase, you're pitching people on something that even you don't know whether it's going to be successful, let alone anyone else. So how big did the SPAC phenomenon get? We're talking just a couple years of the pandemic. How fast did it go up? What, what, how many SPACs came onto the market? And is there a collective number for how much value they represented collectively? It was ginormous. So 2020 was the, like the prelude. And then 2021 was like, wow, SPACs have exploded. There were like 20 listings a day. There were deals left, right and center. There was a point at which SPAC deals were contributing to 20% of US mergers and acquisitions totals, which is insane and, and unheard of. So the market really took off in 2021. And at some point, and this was around March and April, I think the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the regulator uh, for SPACs, the, the financial regulator, took note and said, this isn't good. Retail investors are sort of getting fleeced here and we need to take action. But on the whole... Just to give you an idea of how many SPACs raised money, there are still, despite all those deals that I'm talking about, I think there are still like 680 SPACs waiting to find a target. Wow. So was that when the SEC, when regulators took notice and seemed ready to take action, was that the beginning of the end? It was. There was a notice in December of 2020, and they issued this statement saying, hey, if you see a SPAC endorsed by a celebrity... Don't just invest in that SPAC or in that company because it's endorsed by a celebrity because you had people like uh, Sir Alexander Rodriguez, famous baseball player, J-Lo, <laughs> uh, launching SPACs. And I think Serena Williams backed one. Everyone was clamoring to get into this market. And investors were, again, at home just looking at this happening and being like, hey, if A-Rod and J-Lo uh, run this company, it's probably a good company. And they were putting money into it. Maybe they are the same investment advisor. You know? <laughs> He's probably fired now. <laughs> so, but was it really the regulator's action that started to, where you heard the hissing sound coming out? Or was it ultimately also the economic environment, the sort of the growing prospect of interest rates going up? Uh, well, look, it was a bit of both. So if you look at March 2021, there's this SEC document issued or SEC guidance, which is about this very niche aspect of a SPAC called a warrant. And they had come out and said, actually, in your filings, you've been mischaracterizing what warrants are. So we need all the SPACs to go back and refile this. And that really slowed down issuance. People were looking at the SPACs they already had. They didn't want to launch new products. So that kind of slowed it down. And then it really picked up speed. Then the SEC was issuing guidance saying, hey, why are you doing rosy projections? Why can you give projections um, when you're taking a company public and there is no accountability for the projections that you're giving? But when a company goes public in a traditional way through an IPO and they give projections, which a lot of companies don't for this very reason, but if they do, they are held liable for the statements that they make. And the SEC couldn't quite reconcile the two. It was asking all these SPACs and SPAC sponsors and all the banks and advisors who work on these deals. If the end result is that you're taking the company public, then you should be you should be subject to the same scrutiny that a traditional IPO gets. And the SPACs and their advisors were turning around saying, hey, no, this is a merger. This is not an IPO. 
So there was this like back and forth. And again, this obviously slowed down because then all these SPACs that could give all these rosy projections to join investors thought, wait, are we at some point going to be held accountable for the things we're saying? Is this going to become an issue for us? So in, in 2021, the stock market was hot. The S&P 500 was up. It wasn't that there was an issue in the in the financial environment. The issue was with regulators. They were really trying to clamp down on these things, despite saying they weren't. But they were really trying to slow the market down. And they succeeded. So March and April then were the peak. March and April of 2021? I'd say the, the first quarter of 2021 was the peak. Okay. And then what happened after that? Things started to slow down and all of these SPACs that had found target companies started to not do so well. (laughs) A lot of them were missing the numbers that they had projected they would make. Others were seeing their share prices tank. A part of it was that Bitcoin was again of the sort of flavor and came back into fashion. So a lot of these retail investors who want these shiny things were like, "Ah, we're done with SPACs. (laughs) We're going to move to crypto, which also hasn't worked out well. (laughs) But there there was this sort of kind of confluence of factors that made SPACs undesirable. And I remember running data on this. And I could see, honestly, on an almost week-by-week basis that more and more SPACs were falling below the $10 price. And the $10 price is crucial because when an investor buys into a SPAC, the price is historically almost always $10. So if you merge with a company and that company starts to fall below $10, what the market is saying is you've done a bad deal and this company wasn't worth the valuation that you gave it. And I just started to see all these companies decline in share price and fall below $10. And so at one point it was like 65% of the companies that had gone public through a SPAC since January 2020 were trading below $10. So where are we now? How would you describe where we are now in the SPAC market? How, what proportion is it now compared to when it was at its peak? Well, now it's back winter. (laughs) Things have really taken a turn in the market. So by my last calculation, I think about 90% of SPAC deals are trading below $10, which is an astonishing number. And that's just because investors have completely or almost completely abandoned the market. They're not really interested in SPACs anymore. You have very few listings, certainly very few, even less deals, to be honest. And so there's this sort of quiet period where everyone has realized that 2021 was a period of excess In more ways than one, not just in the SPAC market. It it was certainly a a time of excess within that particular industry. And they've also, they're also coming to town with other things. There's, you know, there's rising inflation, there's a war in Ukraine, interest rates are going up. So SPACs are not as attractive to people as they were a year ago. Mm -hmm. And that's unlikely, in my opinion, to change anytime soon. There's a proposal at the SEC right now to hold banks liable for the statements made by companies going public through SPACs. So before this wasn't the case, like I said earlier, in a traditional IPO process, you can do that, but not in a SPAC process. And the SEC has said, no, that doesn't make any sense. We should reconcile the two. So a lot of the banks have said, "Uh, we're not going to work with SPACs anymore. (laughs) Um, It was fun while it lasted. We made hundreds of millions of dollars. And now we're going to you know, take off it out of the market. And we're just going to, we're just going to leave SPACs to their own devices. 
So when the SPAC boom kind of went bust, who were the losers? It's difficult to say because any investor who participated in SPACs in the early stages and then stayed in in the, or I guess you're rolling over your investment into the new company and then saw the shares decline, you've lost money, right? Probably a lot of your average retail investors have lost out. But so have institutional investors who were providing financing for these deals. They were traditionally also buying in at $10. Some of them did get special deals, but generally you were seeing them buy in at $10. So they'd have lost money. But again, these are sort of large investors who it's a drop in the ocean for. It's it's not going to cause them any massive losses. So who's the biggest winner from this SPAC boom? So there's two winners. You have the SPAC sponsor. When you So if you're a SPAC sponsor and you decide to launch a blank check company, you get a 20% of the shell company, not of the target company, but of the shell company for a nominal sum, which is usually $25,000. And when you merge your SPAC with the company and that company then goes public, you end up making a ton of money. Whether that business performs well or not, it's kind of irrelevant. You still make millions and millions of dollars. So you can see why sponsors were so eager to constantly launch. They were people that launched six or seven SPACs. Because as a sponsor, unless you have to liquidate your vehicle, there was really no way for you to lose. And the second cohort to make money were the bankers and the advisors who were charging pretty hefty sums to advise these companies to set up financing. And they had no no skin in the game in terms of whether the end company was going to be successful or not. So I guess for these two groups, you could say for them, it was it was great while it lasted. It was great while it lasted. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. So Hortensa, what do you think? Do you think the SPAC story is over? Or do you think SPAC listings are just going to become a lot smaller and fewer in number? I think they will go back to where they were before the big boom. I don't think they're going to disappear entirely. But look, if you're, maybe I'm wrong, I can't think of any company that generates revenue, that's a big company, that's got a famous name, that would say, I'm going to go public with a SPAC rather than an IPO. I just don't see why you would do it. I think a SPAC, unfortunately, is always going to be an avenue for companies that need cash. And companies that need cash tend to be high growth companies. So I don't see how they're going to be more legitimized, especially with the reputation that they've built over the past sort of 18 months. Hortensa, thank you so much. Thank you. Today's Behind the Money was hosted by me, Jess Smith. Stephanie Horton is our contributing producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. And special thanks to Arash Masudi. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, 
award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.